Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail, Tear Funds put out its latest list of heroes and villains in the fast fashion industry. Tear Fund's annual ethical fashion report shows some uh, promising signs for New Zealand's brands. Grades them on their policies, transparency of supply chain and treatment of workers. And in past years, it has stirred up a bit of controversy by naming and shaming companies. And some of them didn't even take part in the study. Among the lowest rating brands in this year's Tear Fund ethical fashion report were Farmers, The Baby Factory and Trelease Cooper. The Trelease Cooper fashion brand has responded after getting an F awarded for non-participation. Department store Farmers was ranked lowest. Its managing director, David Norman, questioned the report's merit. I'd like to think that when you've been around for 111 years and you have your own direct sourcing, that it goes without saying that we just do not deal with anybody that's not ethical. Well, farmers got an F again this year because it didn't take part. Many of those that did improved. But does this report tell us what we really need to know? Frankly, is there value in the TF Fund report? Um, you know, I guess it's better than simply consumers just going to fast fashion boutiques and, 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 and buying you know, the same crap all the time, but not much better, I guess. Today, I talked to New Zealand clothing manufacturer Ben Keeps and Tear Fund's education and advocacy manager Claire Gray. But let's go back to the disaster in 2013 that put the spotlight on the fast fashion business, a $3.3 trillion industry that employs more than 50 million of the world's poorest workers. The horrifying collapse of the Rana Plaza building in Bangladesh has sparked serious questions about the use of sweatshops and cheap labour. From the twisted wreck of concrete and rubble, voices of survivors have now faded. Officials confirmed that more than 1,000 bodies have now been found and the recovery operation is entering its final stages. Famous fashion brands like Benetton and Mango have been implicated in the disaster. It's been a major wake-up call for, for all people within the fashion industry around the world. It really kind of like catapulted the, pro- the problem of opaque supply chains in the fashion industry into people's living rooms, really, because suddenly people were aware of of the fact that, you know, there were people sifting through the remains of that building to find the labels so that they could see what brands had actually been producing in that factory. And so it was really clear at that point that there was there were a lot of labor rights abuses, a lot of human rights abuses happening throughout fashion supply chain. Earlier this week, Bangladesh announced the closure of 18 garment factories amid growing concerns over the issue of industrial safety across the country. Uh, We could see very angry people asking questions about how come uh, clothing factories were allowed to operate in this building. We didn't want to go up in the factory, she says, but management forced us to go and said there was no problem with the building. And so this work was a response to that. And so for the first few years, the research that we did was completely focused on on what we would call labour rights, so worker exploitation. So it was looking at the systems and processes that brands had in place um, to protect the workers in their supply chain. In about 2017, we decided to include an environmental section in our research 
um, because you know when you talk about a company being ethical you can't really talk about that independent of what they're doing to protect the planet every two years we would sort of revisit our survey and we look at what the what the best practices where are the benchmarks and we introduce new questions tweak questions change the validation that's required um, to make sure that we're still holding brands accountable to the highest standards how do New Zealand companies fit into it? Are you are you rating them on their imported clothing? Yeah. So the report that we've just released in 2021 is the first time that we have had a, like a revenue threshold for inclusion in our report. So we're now focusing primarily on the big companies, the big fashion companies in New Zealand. If anyone who is listening is familiar with our report, you might remember that in 2019, we assessed 13 New Zealand companies, including a lot more smaller companies, um, but we've shifted. Why is that? Why have you shifted that? Because then it, that does exclude pretty much most New Zealand companies, doesn't it? Well, the report is designed and the survey tool is designed as it is now to hold large companies to account for what's happening in their supply chains. And it's built for um, offshore manufacturing, really. We've got a set number of you know, resources for this project and we wanted to make sure that we were focusing them on where we can have the largest impact, which is those companies that have the biggest supply chains, employ the largest, well, have the largest number of people involved in their supply chains and where there's the biggest scope for impact when systems change. So yeah, we do assess 10 of the biggest companies in New Zealand and they are companies that manufacture offshore and yeah, they do they do really well. I think I'm really proud of how New Zealand companies that we assess have progressed over the last couple of years. The vast majority of them are all really committed to this area. Um, you know, I sit down with these companies and I hear them talk and I, I hear them talk about their suppliers and I hear them talk about the people that make the clothes and the envir environmental impact of their products. And they really do care and they are all investing time and resources in trying to improve the way that workers are treated and reduce their environmental impact. Say if they've rated badly in terms of using child labour or underpaid workers, do you have proof that there, is, there has been a change in their supply chain? Companies like basically always say we never have child labour and forced labour, um, which is quite interesting. So just on that and on changing factories, the question that we have in our survey that addresses that is around, you know, if or when child and forced labour is found, what is the company's remediation plan or what is their strategy for addressing that situation? We would not suggest to a company that as soon as they find child labour, they get that child out of the factory and then they move their production to another factory because that's not helpful for anyone. That's not helpful for that vulnerable individual and that's not helpful for the rest of the workers in that factory. We encourage companies to engage in strong relationships with their suppliers so that if there was child labour found, together the company and the supplier or the brand and the supplier can work with a local NGO to make sure that that child is transitioned into a safer environment. You know, child labour is a bit tricky because often the supplier will obviously know if there's children there. Something like forced labour can be a little bit more 
discreet. If someone is has been recruited to a factory or a facility using a labour broker and they might owe that broker some money and maybe the facility is not 100% aware of that situation, if that comes to light, again, we don't suggest that a brand just suddenly pull their orders. We suggest that they commit to that relationship with that factory and work with that factory to improve the systems and improve the checks and balances that are in place so that that doesn't happen again. And then they support that individual out of that situation. It's not as simple as, oh, there's child labour, we're out of here. We've never been approached by TFN to take part. Um, last year when their report came out, I got a little bit grumpy and had a chat with them. It was nice that they chatted to us. But no, we've never been approached to actually take part, which seems weird. Ben Keeps is the major shareholder in Cactus, which makes backpacks and workwear. And LB Clothing, the largest contract manufacturer of apparel in New Zealand, including police uniforms. If you really want to drive good social and environmental outcomes, the best way to do that is make stuff that lasts a long time close to where your market is, I would have thought. Don't get me wrong, tier fund is, is, is well-meaning, but the thing with all of these um, certificates and compliance things and programs is that they're all very compliance-heavy by their nature. And so... If you're a you know hundred million dollar five hundred million dollar uh, organisation with you know tens and twenties and hundreds of people uh, in offices doing marketing and doing that sort of thing, having someone fill in another bunch of forms isn't a biggie. If you're a you know local manufacturer that's still relatively small that frankly is kind of struggling for for survival as we all are uh, and is 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 super busy just trying to sort of um, keep people employed, then you you don't really have have the time for these things. And so we, we weren't approached, but if, if we were, I I my question would be um, how much, you know, putting putting that time and effort in, how much of it is actually going to drive better outcomes for people on the planet and how much of it is just a nice marketing uh, initiative for some big companies. Tell me a bit about your company. Yeah, so we are um, so, so kind of there's two companies. Um, you know, Cactus Outdoor is a, a 30-year-old uh, backpack and, and workwear uh, company um, here in New Zealand. And a couple of years ago, we bought Elbed Clothing, which is now the largest contract manufacturer of apparel in New Zealand. So we employ, I guess, around 100 people. And it's kind of, um, you know, last person standing a little bit. Um, and our, our reason for buying that was that we fundamentally believe, and, and it speaks to this tier fund thing, we fundamentally believe the best way to drive social and environmental, positive social and environmental outcomes is to make stuff that lasts and make it, you know, here in New Zealand. And that's that's what we're focused upon. That's a good-sized company in New Zealand, isn't it? I mean, I guess in New Zealand it is. But the sort of, I mean, so these companies that got really good rankings in the tier fund report, you know, they don't have their own factories. They contract to, you know, factories in, in Vietnam and Bangladesh. And those factories have thousands and thousands and thousands of people working for them. So, so you know, it, it's a scale thing and we are, we are absolute minnows compared to those guys. How do you ensure that your company is doing the right thing, I suppose? Yeah, and so absolutely, um, hand on heart, it is, it is very hard because if you go back 20, 30 or 40 years, um, you had the means to to manufacture in its in its entirety in New Zealand. So we had fabric mills and we had you know people doing buckles and and all those sorts of trims and things. 
we don't have that anymore. And so um, I would absolutely love, and in fact, you know, I will challenge anyone who asks central government, local government, uh, you know, other companies, whatever, to, to, to rebuild that infrastructure, to build you know, fabric mills in New Zealand. So we source the, the majority of our raw materials from overseas, um, which I, w- I would absolutely much rather do here in New Zealand. But at, at every, every level where we can, our focus is on is on trying to lessen our footprint, and and the reality is is that, you know, my my personal view is that the best way to re- reduce the impact of the apparel sector is to make stuff that lasts. Because the issue with fast fashion, while you know sweatshops and poor environmental standards are terrible, the real issue is that the stuff lasts five minutes and then gets thrown out in landfill. So, you know, our focus is very much on on building stuff that that last and last forever and I think that's what you know and that is absolutely counter to 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 good business because if we sold you know 10 pairs of trousers a year rather than a pair of trousers that last literally 15 or 20 years we, we'd make more money but the right thing to do uh, environmentally is, is absolutely to make stuff that lasts. Well that's what I was going to say for you because making stuff that lasts isn't good for business surely. I mean how do you, if you're making clothing that lasts 20 years, how do you stay in business? Yeah so we are um, we are lucky I guess that we are, you know, we're, we're closely held, there's only the, the, the four shareholders and we are much less focused on um, on paying dividends and taking money out of the business. You know, a lot of the businesses in that tier fund report are, are publicly listed and are multinationals, and and they have they have one obligation, which is to increase shareholder wealth, and that's what they're focused on. They're focused on the share price and their their annual dividend. Um, we are not, uh, and so from a business perspective, we have the the, the luxury, I guess, to to focus on a a, a broader story and and a longer longer term story I guess as I say yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to compete but I'm really unhappy that you know these companies with, with huge checkbooks are able to through marketing pretend to be something that they're not This is what's driving the burgeoning garment trade fast fashion an insatiable market and a relentless drive to cut costs for consumers in the western world I think that we are creating change in supply chain and I think that there is change happening in consumer awareness. So everybody is more aware of the fact that there is exploitation of people and of the planet and the production of clothing. And I also think that there is a growing segment of society that is more conscious about their consumption. However, I think that that portion is still small. I think there's a lot, there's still a big... um, dissonance I think between people knowing that clothing might not have been produced well but still making purchasing decisions that don't align with that. My team at work have actually done a big research piece into modern slavery recently and one of the things that we talked about in that resource was why is it hard to get people to care and get people to change their behavior when we know that people no one wants anyone to be a slave and no one wants to be purchasing stuff that's made by slaves, yet consistently most of us still do. And why is that? And I think there's a couple of things that play into that. And one is this idea of psychological distance, right? So it's hard for us to care and and actually make change when something is not affecting us directly or not affecting us now. You know, it might affect us in the future. And so it's hard for us to get that motivation to buy something that might cost, you know, double the price. 
because it's from a company that's, you know, doing a little bit better. And the other thing is the idea of, and it kind of ties into that, is this idea of solution aversion, is that, yes, we might want to change and we might think that, you know, we agree with everything, but we just, the only options we can see for change all negatively impact us. Mm. This is a complex and nuanced subject on so many levels. And I think, you know, we know that we live in a country here in New Zealand that is unequal. And there are some of us that, that whose, whose needs are met on a daily basis. And we have the privilege and the ability to care about things like shopping well and about where our products come from. But there is a whole bunch of other people that live in this country who don't have their daily needs, needs met and whose life is a struggle. And for those people, they're actually not really in a position to lift their eyes above their own struggles and think about the struggles of other people and, you know, make better purchasing decisions. I, I understand that. And so I'm wondering, actually, whether this survey, this report, is focused on the right thing. I mean... You, I, I don't know if you've you've read Ben Keep's piece on stuff, but what he is saying is that this is about fast fashion. So would it be better to highlight what fast fashion is doing to the planet? Yeah, absolutely. We would totally agree that fast fashion is a completely unsustainable business model. And I have had lots of conversations about this over the last number of years actually with different smaller Kiwi brands and ethical fashion advocates who have this question who are like what you know how do we how do we measure that better and it's actually really tricky so we've taken really focused steps towards that this year so we've got three new questions in our environmental section which specifically address the impacts of fast fashion and so we're asking companies specifically, are you looking at the environmental impact of that overproduction and what are you doing to reduce it? So are they actually looking at what the buying patterns are and not, not ordering well in excess of that? And then what is their strategy and process for the sustainable disposal of unsold products? Because a lot of the time, they just get burned or they go to landfill. So we're digging into that space. We're also asking companies whether they're talking to their customers about the impacts of using and disposing of their product. Because again, with fast fashion, often low quality clothing runs out. And, and the are they? That's are these right. companies, are they talking to their customers about this? Um. Some are, some aren't. Well, how would they um, talk to the customers, though? Would they have a sign-up saying, you know, this T-shirt is only going to last a short amount of time and then it's probably going to go to the rubbish dump? I think it's providing really good information about how to care for products. So, you know, if a product comes with information about this is how you can, like, um, extend the lifetime of this and when you finish with it this is how you can dispose of it better having those conversations giving that but that are they doing information that, to consumers are they doing that yes how yep can some, you explain some how? are and some aren't yeah I mean, you, you can hear from the tone of my voice that i'm quite skeptical yes. about this yeah sure i can't like anything that companies submit to us like as part of our you know outside of the public information I can't share that with you because that's confidential. Um, 
so I would really like, I just encourage you if it, if this is an area that you're really interested in to have a look, um, you know, to, if, if you purchase from any of those fast fashion companies to ask them that question and to see what the, what the, um, process of purchasing from is. I absolutely believe that consumers should be much more aware of the impact of their consumption. But um, again, you know, I don't think the tier fund report does anything to show consumers that fast fashion is bad or that globally distributed supply chains are, 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 are you know, poor for society and the environment. So, um, frankly, is there value in the tier fund report? Um, you know, I guess it's better than simply consumers just going to fast fashion boutiques and, 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 and buying, you know, the same crap all the time, but not much better, I guess. What would be better? I think what would be better is, um, you know, I mean, the days of sort of Muldoonism and tariffs and protection have gone, but I think what would be better is a couple of things. Um, firstly, absolutely big companies, but even more importantly, uh, government departments, should be supporting local industry much more than they do. And there are some procurement rules around government procurement, but frankly, um, it's pretty easy to for those to be overlooked and for for government departments to go with the cheapest price, um, which always <laughs> means offshore. So that's, that's one thing. I think that uh, I'm not looking for subsidies at all, but I think there is an argument that says that uh, it is worthwhile the government investing in, for example, you know, adding value to New Zealand-grown wool. So rather than you know sending wool offshore to be made into Italian suits or whatever, let's build a couple of high-tech uh, fabric mills here in New Zealand so we can actually make uh, value-added products that we can sell you know domestically or or internationally. If the system relies upon a company you know, um, buying wool from New Zealand, sending it to China to get turned into fabric, then to Vietnam to, to be turned into to garments and then and then to an offshore market, that sim- system doesn't take into, into account the, the sort of external costs of that of that distributed supply chain. And I think, you know, I think it's quite simple. If, if a government agency or, a, or an economic development agency thinks about things at a system level, the, the impacts can be can be much smaller, and it can be it can be win win for New Zealand, for the environment, and for people. Well, Ben, you you've obviously got some good connections with your various roles on boards and that kind of thing. What response do you get? Yeah, very little. I mean, the reality is is that, uh, and this started you know with with Helen Clark in the Knowledge Wave Knowledge Wave conference twenty years ago. You know, central government and local government is excited about rockets, software, and maybe yacht racing, uh, and anything that doesn't fit within those uh, those baskets is is just really not appreciated. And so, I would absolutely love to host the prime minister or you know ministers, and, you know, at our factory in, in Christchurch and take them around, you know, other other companies in the industry to show them the value of local manufacturing. But from what I've seen, they they really aren't interested because they think that we are going to be the space travel and software capital of the world and that's going to keep everyone gainfully employed, I guess. 
That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded by NZ On Air and is a joint newsroom RNZ production. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. Alexia Russell produced this episode. Adrian Holley engineered it. And thanks to Claire Gray and Ben Keeps. Kakite. Kite.